Hi everyone. Just before we get stuck into this episode of A Moment of Change, we wanted to tell you about the wonderful work being done by Afghan Welcome, a coalition of charities and civil society groups working together with the UK Home Office to offer Afghan refugees the support they need to start a new life in the UK. There are many ways you can support Afghan Welcome as they deliver clothing, housing, employment and advice to Afghans in need. Members of the On Purpose London team are proud to be involved with the Crisis Appeal and you can check out afghanwelcome.org to learn more. Welcome to A Moment of Change, brought to you by On Purpose London. On Purpose is a non-profit organisation and a vibrant community of people that believe in putting purpose before profit as a way to create an economy that works for all. 2021 is a pivotal year in the fight against the climate crisis and a key moment of change will be the COP26 meeting in Glasgow. Across the series, we'll be talking with changemakers from different backgrounds about what COP26 means to them and the work they do. We'll be chatting with people from areas including fashion, food and the green economy, discussing the challenges of the next few years and what practical actions we can all take to make a difference. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tatwin. And we're both associates on the On Purpose London programme. This week, we're going to be talking all about green jobs, a just transition, and moving into the impact sector. Now, if you're already thinking what exactly is just transition or what even is a green job, then this episode is for you. Compared to the other topics we've been discussing in this series, these ideas, concepts, or whatever you want to call them, definitely feel slightly less tangible. But this week, we're going to break these down, get to grips with what a green job and a just transition actually mean. So Tatwin, I realise that when we started out, I was the one who was somewhat banging the drum to get this episode in the series, as it's a personal passion of mine. But I'm really curious to know what you thought or what you knew about these topics. My thought or question is how do you make green jobs available for all? Yeah, exactly. The crux of all of this is that environmental justice and social justice are intertwined and it's not a case of one or the other. The idea that we can tackle the climate crisis and improve livelihoods and job security at the same time is absolutely paramount. So what I've always understood uh, just transition to mean is that when economies do make a shift to being more sustainable, combating the climate crisis and so on, that workers' livelihoods are also protected and they're able to access this new green economy. Of course, with workers' rights, a just transition has been a focus for trade unions. But in recent years, this has broadened and there are many community groups, businesses, politicians calling for this as well. Now we've got so much to discuss, we've had to break this into two episodes. Today, we're going to be speaking to Dennis Fernando from Friends of the Earth. And later this week, we're going to hear from Jerry an on-purpose fellow who had a personal transition from a high-carbon industry to the impact sector. Let's get to it. So we're now joined by Dennis Fernando, who is a climate campaigner at Friends of the Earth, an environmental campaigning community dedicated to the well-being and protection of the natural world and everyone in it. Dennis has coordinated the Emergency Plan on Green Jobs for Young People. This is a report which outlines how green jobs can be created quickly across the UK and the scale of funding needed for such a transition. Dennis has also worked on plastic pollution, and before working at Friends of the Earth, he was an anti-racist campaigner and social justice activist. Dennis, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, It's a real pleasure to have you here. It's great to be here. So would you be able to give us an overview of the Emergency Plan on Green Jobs report 
Sure thing. So the reason why we wanted to put together this emergency plan on green jobs for young people was because we're very aware that young people in particular are a cohort that have been disproportionately hit by the economic crisis as a result of the pandemic. So around half a million young people aged between 16 to 24 are currently unemployed. This could go up to a million after furlough ends. And part of the reason for the disproportionate impact is because young people work in hospitality and in the retail sector, which have been disproportionately hit by the pandemic and the crisis caused by it. Um, the report itself tried to show what we've described and find as wage scarring, which impacts on young people. So the economic scarring impact on a young person aged between 18 to 20 years old over the next 20 years in lost future wa wages is somewhere between 42 and 133,000 pounds in lost earnings. And if you take that as a collective across the United Kingdom, that's 32 to 39 billion pounds in lost future wages. So we felt it was quite important to give a metric to some of those feelings of uncertainty and of an uncertain future of anxiety. So young people are often speaking about this quite rightly because of the situation they find themselves in. But what we've been able to do is for, for young people themselves, for policymakers, for decision makers, be able to show what that um, impact actually looks like in monetary terms um, and present that there is an answer to this in green jobs because young people rather than feeling disempowered may feel quite helpless in the midst of this multiple crisis the current pandemic crisis and the future climate crisis uh, young people actually have a hugely important role to play but it's for an entire matrix of people around them in government in um, business in education and young people themselves to be able to form this matrix to be able to come to this solution which green jobs provides and if you could just take us through maybe some of the, the key findings from this report yeah so the key asks of the report are for a quarter of a million green apprenticeships over the next five years we're saying that funding green infrastructure could create one million jobs in the next two years we're also calling for a 10-year funding settlement for further education colleges so that apprenticeship and training programs can be delivered very very quickly and we're also very keen to say that the movement must be diverse and therefore we're calling for diversity bursaries to encourage communities that have traditionally not had access to either apprenticeships or to the uh, kind of jobs that we're talking about. So I suppose for people listening who might not be familiar what exactly is meant by a, by a green job? Well, we would say that a green job is a job that helps reduce climate wrecking carbon emissions, restores nature or helps achieve a safe and healthy environment. And there are direct jobs which do that. But there also is a huge amount of potential for low or zero carbon jobs in the caring professions, in education, which uh, we think should, there should also be investment in so that we're creating uh, a greener future that works for different people in all sorts of ways. Dennis, can you give her then an example of a green job? So green jobs could be things that people think of as quite traditional jobs to do with carbon reduction. So things like reforesting is a very good example or eco-design. But we are also saying that, for example, if more of our freight is transported by rail rather than by air, that's going to bring in carbon reduction. So, for example, warehouse management is a green job. You know, bicycle repair is a green job. Um, helping customers uh, at train stations 
because again that's about transitioning people away from cars and onto public transport those are to us also green jobs and part of a low carbon economy so we're trying to demonstrate that there is a real breadth and diversity of choice that's really interesting so it's not just sort of like a a small pool of very technical jobs that can qualify as green jobs it's actually a very broad range which are sort of quite accessible to lots of people then absolutely we think that's a really important aspect of friends of the earth's perspective and indeed of trying to tackle the climate crisis this has got to be something that takes as many people with it as possible in terms of trying to find those solutions and those ways of producing carbon output and then in your last answer you mentioned that that word transition and i know that uh, a phrase that is used quite often by friends of the earth and wider is just transition can you explain exactly what what is meant by that phrase as well so just transition means something quite specific about how workers in high carbon industries and communities that rely on these industries are involved in and looked after through the transition that we need then there's also a wider question of fairness in the transition how it impacts on different groups on people how we can ensure that the fuel insecure are helped and not harmed by the move to eco heating and how the shift away from petrol and diesel cars doesn't push travel out of the reach of some people. So those are the different aspects we feel are present in trying to talk about just transition. So in terms of green job creation, the report lays out the case for it and and what's needed. Has there been any previous examples where green job creation has been successful in the UK or potentially elsewhere abroad? and being able to help young people get into green jobs. On the question of green job creation and being able to point to examples, unfortunately, this is going to only happen when you see the level of state investment needed in order to create green jobs to have the kind of impacts that the report is talking about and that we want to be able to showcase. But the problem we have at the moment is that we're not seeing that level of delivery that level of investment which is needed. A a government-funded 40 billion a year green infrastructure program could create over 1 million jobs and deliver significant co-benefits, healthier air, warmer homes, and save uh, the NHS tens of billions of pounds. The problem we have at the moment is that we're not seeing those metrics of investment and job creation that will enable us to be able to point out the benefits and the evidence that is needed particularly with the looming climate crisis in fact unfortunately some in some ways we're moving in the wrong direction because the number of people employed in low carbon and renewable energy economies declined by more than 30,000 between 2014 and 2019 according to the ONS figures that were released this spring and green businesses also dropped by an estimated 93,500 to 88,500 from 2014 to 2018 There were schemes that, if they'd been maintained, could have really been an evidence base by now. So there was quite a flourishing solar installation industry in the UK, which grew under the feed-in tariff scheme. But change of government policy and government cutting the scheme before the industry had got to the point of being able to sustain itself likely cost more than 15,000 jobs. Green jobs are there, but need stable and sustained intervention from government to realise their full potential. The recent Greener Homes grant fiasco in which there was a grant available for people to be able to create greener homes and to be able to install different mechanisms came to an end because there wasn't enough pickup but the the reason there wasn't enough pickup was because people didn't know about it and so you had this grant that could have helped 
improve uh, people's homes, but it was not picked up. And um, that has led to a situation where business and others that could have deployed a, a turn of direction towards um, greener homes are left feeling that the market is insecure and therefore that has a knock and impact on the amount of jobs that could have been created. And we, we must stop seeing this sort of association with trying to become greener, feeling like it's precarious and insecure. And that is an important responsibility government has to take extremely seriously. But it sounds like government needs to be more confident to see out these plans so we can actually realise the benefits and have good examples to then work on. I suppose when we're talking about plans, is there a difference between how you might plan this in an urban area or versus a rural area? One of the things we're very keen to say in terms of green job potential is that it's in every corner of the country. So whether you live in a rural area or a city, you know, energy efficiency, solar and heat installation, these are things that people need wherever they live. And also these are jobs that could be created, which would both help people in terms of, for example, heating their homes lowering their energy bills and also contributing to tackling the climate crisis. And yes, there there are some particular jobs that might have a, a particular geographical characteristic, for example, nature restoration jobs and urban tech centres. These are things that may have particular characteristics. But what we're quite keen to try and emphasise is that choice is quite important here. So a person shouldn't have to be displaced and move location because the kind of job that they want isn't available in the area that they live in. We want to see good, decent, unionised jobs and a choice in green jobs so that you know a person shouldn't have to have to choose between moving location and taking a, a job in a, in a high carbon industry. And therefore, whether it's thinking about hybrid working, working online and also job creation, which will enable people to not have to make that choice, we think that's that's quite important in this conversation about geographics Uh, yeah and i suppose that really links well with that idea of the just transition that you mentioned of making sure no matter who you are or where you are you're still not left behind and are able to take part in this transition into a greener economy dennis obviously this report was written in light of the covid pandemic and prior to that i think everybody knew there was a need for more jobs to be created generally for young people, but also to help us transition the economy to a greener economy. But do you feel like the the changes since the pandemic hit in 2020 have made it more or less likely for a Green New Deal type intervention by government to create uh, green jobs? I'm thinking, you know, in the context, we've seen something like the furlough scheme, which was really unprecedented to maintain people's wages and salaries. I believe it probably is more likely now after we've seen interventions like that. But I would be really interested to know your views. I think you're right that the case has been made very strongly for state intervention when faced with a global crisis. And the response when you think of vaccination or furlough and of the kind of measures that have had to be taken to try and challenge what's happening with COVID those couldn't have been taken at an atomized or an individual level. They had to be taken at a state level because of the nature of the global pandemic. And what that shows is in the middle of a crisis, how important state intervention is. And so there is a, there's a very important narrative that has been established, which has to also count for the climate crisis. 
so I think the, the narrative is there, the understanding is there, but have we yet got to the point where governments of the world, even the government of Britain, understand that green job, job creation is part of that response? I'm not, I'm not sure of the answer to, the, to that question. I don't see yet the evidence that that turnaround that was necessary with the immediacy of the pandemic is being treated with the same urgency, given that what's going to happen is we're going to see an unfolding that's perhaps more gradual than, you know, the pandemic came very quickly, right? I mean, here we are 18 months later, and, you know, there are so many people who have died. There is such a change in the way of life. The, the issue with the climate crisis is that it becomes incrementally more runaway. I mean, we've seen more and more kind of heat waves, droughts, fires and floods this year. And I think that the awareness that climate change is here and needs to be dealt with is perhaps more prescient than it was previously. But is it yet at that level that governments understand that they need to have a kind of COVID level response to something that you there will come a point where climate change becomes runaway, where you cannot even have that level of response to try and stop it. And that's what the IPCC report and others are kind of pointing to. So I think that that still needs to be further embedded in policy, further embedded in government direction. And there are things that we can all do to amplify and um, and to make the case for that so that there is that level of state intervention. And you mentioned the IPCC report, which I think for most of us who have read it or read extracts from it or even just seen the news report. I've heard people describe it as sobering reading, but I think many of us recognised it but hadn't necessarily seen the the most recent science of exactly how extreme and how urgent it was in terms of intervention needed. Do you think this just makes the case more urgent for green job creation or do you think this new urgency, increased urgency, requires a different approach at all? I actually think it's a bit of both. I, I definitely think that when you look at the the time frame that we've got in terms of the next few years, next couple of decades, in terms of what a critical difference these time frames are going to make, there is a, a, a renewed urgency that perhaps those of us who've been following this were were not that surprised to hear that that was the case. But hopefully, it's going to switch on more people who have the power to do something about the climate crisis at a national and international level. But I think there's a second thing, which is as well as time urgency, there's also a thing in terms of capacity. So we need multi-agency responses. And again, that's something that if you want something to happen quickly and in a coordinated way, you need state intervention, you need government level and actually international government level cooperation and intervention to be able to, to mitigate what is going to be an international global crisis. So moving on to maybe more the social dimensions of green jobs, you mentioned earlier in terms of making sure that access to these jobs is um, equitable. So the evidence is pretty clear in broadly environmental sector. There's been reports of how many groups, particularly people from uh, Black, Asian or minority ethnic background are not represented very well in these industries. So how can we make sure that green job creation is equitable for people who are from historically disadvantaged and under-resourced groups? How can they get access to those opportunities? One of the things that the Green Jobs Report points to is the need for apprenticeships as a, a kind of gateway into green jobs and for those to be 
subsidised to be waged to be leading to green jobs. And I think that one of the things that needs to be looked at is the kind of equality indicators within the apprenticeship programme. So at, at the moment, as it stands, it's not delivering the solutions to address the pay and unemployment gaps. The proportion of ethnic minority people who apply for an ap- apprenticeship is far higher than the proportion who start one. And in some research has shown that 28.6% of BME people who have completed an apprenticeship are unemployed as compared to 5.5% of white people. So there are still these inequalities that need monitoring. Also, I think that one of the other areas we've got to look at is what is the traditional biases and barriers that have existed for different communities who are underrepresented. So for example, there have been studies done in America to show that you know there is a particular impact of patriarchy and sexism in the construction industry, which will be a barrier to women participating. And we need to find ways that we overcome those. And for example, studies have indicated that eco-construction is a way of overcoming some of these barriers and stigma that exist in the traditional um, construction training schemes. And the other thing that I think we need to look at is diversity bursaries. So the Green Jobs Report actually advocates for there to be a diversity bursary to particularly help non-traditional communities who are facing barriers. Super interesting, Dennis. I always wonder how helpful are terms like the Green New Deal or Green Guarantee, which sort of seem quite quite niche and hard to understand. And, you know, when you're trying to get the wider public on board to understand what's being asked for, how helpful do you feel are these terms or, or should we be re-examining how we put that message across? I think it's one of those things that you've got to use language that speaks at every level. This is should climate crisis get to its worst excesses, it's going to hit everybody at every single level. And we definitely don't want to have been in a situation where because we were explaining what were tangible ways forward to tackling climate change, but in using a language that made it inaccessible to to different sections of society and the wider public, we didn't we didn't get buy in, we didn't win the argument. And so I think some of those terms in certain circles, they'll understand the historical context of the Green New Deal. They'll understand what that means. But I think that we must speak to the people who are right now facing the impacts of the current crisis, the economic crisis, the pandemic, uh, in a way that perhaps means that they're not thinking beyond quite reasonably, how am I going to survive today? How am I going to provide for myself and my family this month, this week, today, this year? You know, we've got to use a language that does speak to people. And so for me, the real magic bullet of green jobs is that there's a triple win in that there is job creation, that there is a co-benefit for for an individual or for a family or for a house, for example, a warmer home and lower heating bills or, you know, reduction on the NHS. And you're also tackling carbon emissions. So I think we've got to find ways of being able to communicate those co-benefits in as quick a way as possible. You should be able to knock on door of anywhere in your street and be able to tell people in a few sentences why they should support 
green jobs and what green jobs could do for them. So retrofitting will lower your heating bills. That will increase your health well-being and you will contribute to lowering carbon emissions. You know, we need to find that kind of language, perhaps shorter and quicker. So, for example, you know, let's have warmer homes, not a hotter planet. You know, let's open up and let's ask people go how do you do that? That's That seems impossible. Well, actually, it isn't. Actually, it's the solution, you know. So one of the things that the Green Jobs Report does is it goes through some of the co-benefits that come, for example, from cycling and pedestrian infrastructure and the savings that makes on healthcare, which people don't necessarily think about. They don't necessarily equate carbon emissions lower in air pollution with savings on the NHS and, you know, that saving years of life for, to individuals and, and that kind of thing. Or they don't necessarily think that creating a job of, for someone to be a retrofitter is going to mean not only lower heating bills at a time of rising energy prices, but also uh, warmer homes means less deaths as a result of those that are currently directly linked to cold damp homes. And that's going to be a saving on the NHS. There are others, you know, flood defence um, fiber broadband rollout all of these things are very easily understandable and actually desired and in demand by the wider public we just need to make the case that these are creating virtuous circles economic benefits benefits to an individual but also then benefits in terms of the, the necessary work we need to do to reduce carbon emissions i love that i i, I really like that triple benefit idea and how by talking about it in the context of heating bills and, and transport and internet, you're automatically speaking a language that people understand and can buy into. So I think that's really, really powerful. And just on that and related to what we've just been talking about, it really does feel like there's clear evidence now that green job creation will have that triple win of social, environmental and economic benefits. It will pay back for itself, essentially. So, Dennis, why, why do you think we're not seeing enough progress quick enough at the moment in getting green job creation schemes off the ground? You know, I might compare it to something like the Kickstart scheme, which was launched in the middle of the pandemic last summer in 2020, fully funded by the Treasury, but took a very long time for actual jobs to be created. And I know myself, having worked in partly one of the schemes, it, it, it took a lot of effort to, to get this here in the midst of a you know very apparent job crisis then. So it'd be good to know your views of why do you think there isn't enough action at the moment? I think there needs to be a prioritisation and a long-term commitment to this work given by government. The moment that is given, you will see the necessary investment coming into this area, whether that's in the quarter of a million apprenticeships that we want to see created, whether it's in the other demands of the Green Jobs Report. And what that then means is because we're calling for wage subsidy from government, that engages business because business is going to get a subsidised worker, but not at the expense of the, the person taking up the job. That's going to be a subsidy from government. And then, as we've spoken about earlier, there are all these co-benefits and, and paybacks. And I think that one of the problems we are seeing in policy at the moment across the piece is sort of headline grabbing statements which are well intentioned or are intentioned to give the projection of green credentials for example i think it's excellent that there is this commitment from government for a 78 percent reduction in emissions by 2035 that's a step in the right direction but what i'm concerned about is you need to work back from 2035 to 2021. 
there needs to be a year-on-year -year plan of how you are going to get to a 78% reduction, which starts now. And we need to see the carbon footprint come down year on year. And the moment you've decided to give that kind of commitment and to be able to visualize it for the public in a way that says, we are very serious about this. We can show you that within five years, we will be at X percentage. The moment you've done that, what that will lend itself to is that you need green jobs. You know, you're not going to get there without turns of industry. And I suppose one of the things that's most concerning for me is that whilst we have this commitment, whilst we have the, the concerning code red from the IPCC report, we're also seeing our government currently investing and making commitments around the polluting industries. So why are we financing a gas mega project off the coast of Mozambique? Uh, that's going to take us in the wrong direction. Why are we seeing new proposals for coal, oil and gas by the government when what we need is commitments to the green industry? We're, we're hearing the code red. We're hearing about the, the, the dangers of not very quickly having carbon emission reduction. And we've got this really great commitment. But the policy direction of government does not currently fit that. And what I would like to see is um, more done to show how we're going to get to the reduction by 2035. And that can only come from... A, a very, very thorough, meaningful commitment, which is backed up by plans. Because ultimately, if you want to create green jobs, you've got to build a pipeline that starts in schools, goes all the way through to the workplace, and that engages local policymakers, local communities and businesses. I have not yet seen a, the actual detail of a plan that is going to start delivering that as of this year, as of next year. You've got to start seeing that now. And it needs very definite detailed plans and those plans have to start now. We've talked a lot about the role of the state and what government needs to do in terms of uh, green job creation. What we've said is international, national, regional and local level. But who else has a role to play uh, in, in this transition to a new economy and in job creation? I think, there's a, I think there's a lot of different stakeholders in this, apart from the ones that you've mentioned. So, for example, business is very important in all of this. They've got a big stake in terms of actually creating jobs, in terms of providing work. Young people and students, we want to see a situation where they feel valued. And instead of feeling like there is a bleak, almost obsolete future with crisis in the mix, which must be terrifying for a lot of young people, what we're trying to say is that actually there is a brighter, low carbon, less polluted future in which you are hugely valued. And you have a hugely important stake in all of this. And I think what, if I had to find something that was a glimmer of hope right now, it's that formal education, of course, has an important role to play. But so does civic participation. So does activism. So does raising your voice. Those things are also extremely important right now. And it's extremely inspiring to see, you know, the 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 school strikers, the young people who are in many ways playing a huge leadership role across the, the globe at the moment on this particular issue. And I think also communities themselves, like I think that there is a huge amount that can bring communities together around essentially making improvements to our own communities. And there's a real sense of community cohesion that can come from that. Um, 
But again, it, it does start with national policymakers. The, the will is there from all of the groups that I've just spoken about, because when we've been doing our work around this report, we have engaged many of these different stakeholders. But what they need, what those communities need is the bit that they can't provide, which is the, the policy, the forum, the direction, the apparatus to make these things happen. And that has to be a lead given by national government. And in a sense, coming back to the, the previous question and the sense of commitment, it cannot be looked at that this is a burden on, uh, you know, it's an extra burden on top of everything else that's going on at the moment. This is an answer to many of the burdens that are going on at the moment. And as soon as you reframed it like that, then it makes no sense that there isn't the highest level possible commitment to carbon reduction through green job creation. You know, as you surely know, just around the corner is COP, COP26, uh, where you know, at the highest level decisions will be made. Um, about these sort of issues and I would be really interested to hear your opinion of do you think green jobs will get enough airtime at COP and if you're able to be there you know what would you say to the key leader if you had one minute of their time? So on the question of do I think green jobs will get enough airtime at COP it's hard to say it all comes down to what the level of commitment is that the governments of the world want to give to this issue and particularly the governments of the West want to give to actually taking seriously that the kind of disproportionate impact that the development from the industrial revolution onwards has had with the price tag of fossil fuel industry propagation has to now be addressed. And so it does come down to that particular commitment. If I was able to be there and I was able to give a key leader a one minute speech on the particular issue of green jobs, I just remind any leader you got into politics to make people's lives better. The job of policymakers is to create jobs. So create the green jobs, stimulate the economy, tackle the climate crisis, or else be the generation of leaders who knew what was going to happen, who had the opportunity to stop climate change, and will be remembered for generations as the ones who failed to do so. Is that one minute? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And very powerful. And what would you say? What would you say in general? In general, it would be particularly to the governments of the West. I think that promises were made from Paris onwards to understand that we all live on one planet together and that the people who are going to face the worst brunts of climate change are situated in the global south. And instead of, for example, our government looking at cutting its foreign aid budget and failing on its commitment that should have been made to help the developing economies of the world with at least 100 billion to insulate them from the impacts of climate change, but also develop in a way that isn't going to be reliant on fossil fuel industries in the way that the Industrial Revolution was, they need to understand that these are not problems and solutions over there. If we don't stop the, the worst excesses of climate change happening in other countries, they will come to our front doors in the form of floods, in the form of future pandemics, in other ways. And therefore, it is extremely important to understand we are all one on the planet and the impacts on the global south are going to eventually impact on us. And therefore, this is not an investment as an act of charity. This is an investment in our own future. And I just think that penny needs to drop. So Dennis, we're coming to the end now of our time. And on the podcast, we do like to talk about the big issues and what can be done at a systemic level. But we also like to provide people with some advice or 
some pause for thought on what they can do as an individual and what action they can change. So in terms of creating more green jobs for young people, what's the one thing that people could do to practically get involved in this? Well, Friends of the Earth has climate action groups, which are set up all around the country and that we work with around the country on a local level. So going to the Take Climate Action website, you can see if there is a local group in your area and you can get very involved in the work that we're doing in different localities. I think also looking at the Green Jobs Report, one of the things that's very powerful about it is that we have broken down in the appendix at the back. So you don't need to even read the whole report. You literally need to just turn to the last pages of the appendix and find your local area. And it will show you what the scarring impact is going to be on a young person in your local area. And so that stat is really important for local politicians, because one of the things that we do want to do is to empower people to be able to talk to local politicians, to then talk to regional politicians, to then talk to national politicians to make a a change. And so I, I think that stat at the back of the report, looking up what the impact is on young people in your area, remember that the less, the more wage scarring there is for young people in your area, that's less money going into the community, going into the local economy. And whilst we've talked about triple wins and and co-benefits that come from green job creation and from employment and stimulating the economy, the opposite, the converse is also the case. Unemployment leads to scarring impact on the local economy, which will have impacts eventually on, as we've outlined at the start of this with the national figures, billions of pounds will be lost unless we create these jobs. So to bring it down to like a very simple thing, have a look at the table, find out what the the scarring impact is and, and start lobbying and speaking to local politicians to talk to national politicians about why this is going to have an impact in your very own area. And the answer is, let's solve that problem of economic scarring, solve the, the problem of needing economic stimulation, and in the, in the meantime, by the creation of green jobs, also contribute our bit to tackling the climate crisis. So Dennis, thank you so much for joining us. It's been incredible to speak to you. Thoroughly recommend that anybody who's interested in this topic takes a look at that Friends of the Earth report. We will have a link in the podcast. But thank you so much for your time and thank you for joining us. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. Join us next time when we'll continue this conversation on green jobs and a just transition. Thanks for listening. This podcast series is brought to you by On Purpose London in the run-up to COP26 to help us understand how we can all be better change makers for a new green economy. If you'd like to learn more about On Purpose and the associate programme, please go to onpurpose.org. If you've enjoyed listening today, please like, rate, review, subscribe and share on wherever you find your podcasts.